Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. So this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Aaron Frank. Uh, he's a part of Singularity University. And because he's a part of Singularity University, he undoubtedly has many exciting projects that he's working on himself outside of Singularity University. So Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for, for setting this up. Yeah, tell me uh, a little bit about your background because, again, I you know everyone I talk to from Singularity has uh, at least two or three things going on and they're They've got extensive yeah. backgrounds, so yeah, tell me about yourself. Yeah, so I, I might be a little bit of an outlier at Singularity University in that I'm actually an employee faculty. So, so my title there is principal faculty, which means I'm a full-time uh, resident member of the faculty um, at Singularity University. So, so my background is in uh, life science, communications. Um, you know, I've worked as a technology practitioner um, in the augmented and virtual reality space. That's the, the core area that I focus on uh, at SU. So I, I mainly focus on what's happening in augmented and virtual reality. And I spend a good portion of my time as a, as a writer, journalist, uh, tech reporter. Um, so I, I write for Singularity University has their own platform called Singularity Hub, but I've, I've worked with editors at uh, other publications like uh, Wired UK, Vice's Motherboard, VentureBeat, uh, so I, I spent a lot of time researching and, and keeping up with what's happening and then uh, do a lot of sort of corporate uh, consulting on on describing these trends to uh, business executives. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I read Singularity Hub and I follow Peter Diamandis' work and you guys put out like some really great articles. I get I get a lot of my podcast guests from them. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> no, I'm glad you I'm well, glad you uh, read it, found it, found it valuable. There's actually no better way. Uh, to find great guests than to, uh, to to read that, you know, I send it to my uh, my schedule this week, and I say go get these guys and gals, and he tries to do that, and that's how I get a lot of the guests. So yeah, it's a great resource. Oh, that's great, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah. Actually, if you want to get into it, I just had an article uh, that was published yesterday. Uh, I, I don't know if uh, I know we're recording this, so this won't be recorded uh, posted live. But uh, yesterday being what is it, July eighth. Uh, um, it, that yeah. did pretty well, and it's a pretty crazy. I think one of the craziest stories I've worked on, and uh, it's getting some good, some good traction on the internet today. So happy to talk about that one it's in the VR space. Yeah, let's start with that. Tell me about it. What, what was the article about? Yeah, so it's honestly, I mean, I've been I've been covering virtual reality for about five years now, and I think this story is one that really kind of made me sit back and you know, you know, take a look at what you know, kind of that wow moment. So the story is about. A company. It's a real estate company that's headquartered in Bellingham, Washington. Um, as a company, they're exploding right now. They're a they're a real estate brokerage. So they're so they have a company, but then they have real estate agents that sell uh, you know residential uh, homes to people. They operate today in over 300 markets. But what's interesting about the company is that they are they're exploding in growth. They've grown from I think at the beginning of the year they had around 6,000. Agents today, they have, you know, half a year later, they have almost 12,000 agents. Their stock price has surged like 300% since October, um, which is unbelievable for a, a real estate company to, to grow that quickly. And the reason they are growing so fast is that the entire company, so 
all of the 12,000 agents, all of their contractors, the executive management team, everyone that works for the business, all show up to work in an online virtual world. So the, the company itself has no physical space, like no physical buildings. The entire company is run in this kind of like second life online VR uh, world, which I found really fascinating. Really? Well, when you say they, they quote unquote show up to work, uh, does it look like Second Life or Minecraft, or is it? Um, yeah. So is it perspective first person or a third person? Um, yeah, I mean it looks it looks very similar to Second Life. So so the the company that makes the software that uh, operates the virtual world is a is a company called Verbella, but they they basically create this, these virtual campuses. So when you so when you download the software onto your computer, you basically have an avatar. You can set it to be first person view, where you know you you know, inhabit this avatar body and you're walking around, or you can do kind of like the third person where you're hovering above your avatar and you can walk them around. Uh, but what's, what's interesting is all of the, you know, if you have a meeting with your coworkers, you don't drive, you don't get in your car, drive to an office and sit in a conference room. You, you know, sit down at your computer and log into this virtual world and you sit around a, you know, a conference room table and there's screens where you can, you know, do PowerPoint presentations or, uh, you know, go online together. You have to physically navigate physical space to walk around the campus to go from meeting to meeting, just like you would in the real world. Uh, but what's really interesting is the scale of this. I mean, these are thousands of employees, and there's not a single physical office building uh, that this company uses to run. What is? I didn't. I don't think I mentioned this. This is a billion-dollar company. So they just got listed on the Nasdaq, um, and their first day of trading on the Nasdaq was a few weeks ago. And on the first day, their market cap across the billion dollar threshold. So this is a massive company that's 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 doing this. So why wouldn't uh, they just talk over Slack or email or phone or I mean how much of the company's activities do they force people to do this, you know, the virtual semi physical uh, meetup thing? Yeah, I mean that's a good point and that's a great question. So so when I interviewed their their CTO for this this article, he mentioned that the company was founded about ten years ago. So it's not a new company. Um, and when they when they were were founded, they actually, I mean, one of the one of the challenges they had was they couldn't afford uh, physical office space for their for their agent. Uh, the financial collapse had just occurred. They didn't, you know, they couldn't afford it. Um, and and what I learned is that real estate professionals, in particular, uh, need physical space primarily to do uh, training. So I think uh, training, sales training, is a massive part of uh, real estate the life of a real estate agent so that you need physical space for. But you're actually right to point out that as the company grew, uh, they, they leveraged a lot of these collaboration tools like uh, Trello, which is a project management tool, uh, Slack for internal communication. So they actually did use Slack, um, you know, once it came online. And then so, so about a few years ago, they finally decided, they said, okay, we're growing. We need physical space to do training, to do training seminars for our real estate agents. So how are we going to do this? That was what really motivated them to uh, invest in building this, you know, entire VR office space that has grown to this, you know, massive scale where they get, you know, hundreds of employees every day, thousands every month um, to, you know, be able to meet up in person. It'd be a really good case study because, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people fear that, you know, when virtual reality becomes ubiquitous, everyone's going to be stuck inside a, a computer and never in the real world. And, um, I bet you this company, maybe you know already, they probably have a lot of insight as to when, um, you know, meeting in virtual reality is important and when it's it's not needed. Like, did they, did you get a sense for, I mean, it sounds like live training seems to be better if you're, 
if you're there, you know, in a sense, yeah. if you can't be there physically, if you're sitting in a virtual room and looking at it with other people, but what are, what are some scenarios where it seems like it helps and other ones there, it doesn't seem like it matters. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think it's, it's interesting that we're talking about a real estate company. Cause I mean, if you have listeners that are real estate agents, they might be listening to this saying, wow, like what a terrible idea uh, to have people meet up in VR because real estate uh, requires a lot of face-to-face interaction. So I think it's, it's important to point out, you know, as a real estate agent, you are still out in the world a significant amount of your day. You have to get in a car and go to showings and meet with the, the potential clients that you're working with to actually show them uh, the houses that you might work with. Um, but I think there are, I think you're right to point out that there are certain use cases where, uh, you know, foregoing the use of physical space to do something like team meetings. Um, and this is actually what's so interesting is, is you're, you're asking a really good question that I don't think uh, we have really good answers for yet. It's not entirely clear where the use, the usefulness of a VR office breaks down and the requirements of a, a real face-to-face office emerges. You know, where, where are the limitations or gaps that this company might face that another company that does have physical offices emerge? I think it's a really good question, and it's one that, uh, again, I mean, this is really the, this is for me really the first example of a legitimate, large, growing company that's even attempted to do this. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think you're right to point out that we should keep an eye on it and see, you know, where where does its usefulness break down, and is this is this a model that other companies should you know quickly try and replicate? Yeah, because I've realized, like in my life, you know, um, there's certain seminars I go to and. If I just listen to it online or if I watch a video, it's never nearly as impactful as me sitting there and taking notes and experiencing it. So certain right. stuff like you just really have to do physically, you know, and yeah, real estate, for instance, um, you know, looking at a house online and pictures. I mean, we just recently oh, bought yeah. a house and I can tell you, yeah. like, the pictures are nothing like being in the house. Nothing. You got to be there. Virtual reality would be a good proxy. You know, at least if you could walk the house in virtual reality, you get 80% of the way there, you know. Instead of just looking yeah, at I would love to to hear your experience of uh, buying a house. I'm actually in the process. I live in San Francisco, and I'm 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 actually moving out right. of my apartment, and it's 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 kind of a desperate scramble to try and find a, a new place. And actually, that's a, your point right. is exactly right. The the pictures don't do justice. You have to go and get a feel and a sense, uh, you know, in in, in the real world, um, you know. And it's I'll say this though, you know, spending time in these 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 virtual worlds and there's other platforms. So Second Life was, you know, maybe the, the biggest example, you know, it's a 15 year old technology. Uh, but today there are there are a whole suite of new online virtual worlds. Uh, Altspace is, is one that's growing very quickly that was just acquired by Microsoft, which is a really fascinating example. They've been building uh, ways for people to spend time together in VR to do things like go to comedy shows or music festivals or, you know, film That's screenings. Cool. Yeah. Uh, another one is called what High is, Fidelity. Uh, oh, so Altspace, Sorry. what is it for? What's, what's High Fidelity for? Sorry to interrupt you. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so Altspace, uh, Altspace is, it's an online virtual world uh, that has different spaces, like different locations you can, you can go to. So the way it works, this is actually, uh, many of these are, are, are being built around the use of these, consumer headset devices that are starting to become more popular. So the Oculus Rift is maybe, you know, one of the most well-known VR headsets. The HTC Vive is another one. So these are starting to come to market for the first time. Uh, and so so the way Altspace works is, it, I mean, so Altspace does work on a browser, on a, you know, a two-dimensional screen on your, on your computer. But most right. of the people that I interact with are 
at home in their bedroom inside a VR headset. So you are fully immersed in this world. Uh, and so in Altspace, they are building, uh, like, I, I, I don't know, I can give some examples. One, one event that they hosted was they built an entire replica of Rockefeller Plaza from, uh, from New York. So mm. uh, around the presidential election, this was a few years ago, they hosted uh, watch parties for uh, the presidential uh, debate. So you could actually basically sit in your room at home, be in a VR headset, and feel like you're walking around Rockefeller Plaza. You meet other people. There are other avatars there that you can talk to. You can have conversations oh. with them. And then on the screen is a, you know, is a feed of this uh, debate. Um, they've done similar things with uh, Coachella, for example. So I, I technically could say that I went to Coachella in VR. I would you know, be in, in my bedroom and hanging out with other people. Like I met people from, uh, weirdly that day, there were a lot of Peruvians. There were a bunch of people from South America that I was just, you know, in this space hanging out with as avatars watching uh, Coachella. We went to the uh, the group love set, I remember, was was one that we watched together. Um, so things like that, that's that's already becoming more common as a, as a thing that you can do in, in VR. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it'd be much easier to socialize if you go to a concert, you know, to walk up to a group of strangers and say, hey, guys, and start talking to them. You know, it takes a lot of balls to do that. But in a virtual space, I mean, I could see it would be easy. Why not? Just yeah. go up to them and say, hey, guys, and talk to them, you know, it'd be easier. Yeah, I think the novelty of it being VR is already, you know, kind of intended for you to be able to go and meet and mingle and talk to new people. Um, and actually, one of the, so I haven't tried it firsthand um, myself yet, but Facebook uh, just launched a new product called Venues, which is, which is, I find really fascinating. So they are taking these VR camera capture, like 360 capture camera technologies to different live events. So the first one they did was uh, at Red Rocks Amphitheater. If you know the, the concert venue, it's like right outside Denver. Uh, you know, beautiful, you know, rolling red rock hills. And, and there's this natural amphitheater, really famous, I, I, it's a beautiful venue. Um, and I think the first concert was a Vance Joy uh, concert where if you have a VR headset at home, you can put on your headset and you're there at a live event. So everything, you're, you're, you can sit with other people in virtual reality. So you can feel like you're sitting in the audience with other people, other avatars that, you know, might be someone in New York or in Singapore or in the Netherlands, wherever it may be. Um, but you're at this live event. I mean, this is happening live. So, you, you know, it's, there's a scheduled time that you have to show up and be in VR to see this live event. I think something like that is really fascinating. I haven't, so there's, there's a whole calendar of events that Facebook is, is doing the, the rest of the summer. That I, I think there's a lot of baseball games and some of these international uh soccer teams like the the European teams that come and play in the US they're going to have some of those live in in VR um and like you say it's you know it's easier to or it's it's easier in VR maybe to meet people go up and talk to strangers so yeah who knows who knows what that how that experience compares to you know the real the real thing yeah and you know i just realized um you know like they have people on cell phones all the time and they have like for an airport they have like a cell phone waiting area I bet you when VR becomes ubiquitous, they'll have like a VR area where people could plug into headsets, but they can't, you know, walk around and bump into people or walk in the traffic oh, so they could experience stuff. You know, they can go to like, yeah. a, let's say a cafe and they'll have, you know, like VR area where you can get coffee and drinks and stuff there and pastries and then go in VR and hang out, you know? 
That's that's interesting. That's, and uh, we've we've kind of started to see maybe the early precursors to to something like that at. Um, I think it's at Coachella they've done this. So, I, so in San Francisco, the big music festival that we have here is uh, Outside Lands, where, you know, it's a three-day festival, and they always have simultaneous, uh, you know, headliners playing at the same time. And so let's say you go on a Friday, and uh, you want to go see LCD Sound System, but J. Cole's playing at the same time. If you go back on Saturday, you could you could go to the designated VR uh, booth where you can get an experience of saying, oh, you know, I chose to go to LCD Sound System. What was it like at J. Cole? That's already starting to be integrated. So they have these sort of like VR time travel uh, kiosks where if you're at a music mm. festival, you can start to go and relive, you know, the, 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 the set that you missed because you had to choose one over the other. What's it, what's it been like for you? If you take a live experience versus a VR experience versus just you know, watching a video on it. How do you rate or grade the levels of uh, enjoyment you got and immersion from the experiences? Yeah, I think it's important to note that these are the earliest days of this kind of technology. I mean, VR as a technology has definitely been around for a long time. You know, it's a you know more than 20-year-old technology, but all of the components that go into creating real social multi-user shared experiences has really only existed for a very short period of time, like even just a few years, the, you know, the bandwidth capacity necessary to do this, the processing speeds, the, you know, latency issues, the headsets have been too expensive. Um, so it's not, it, I, I've never had a VR experience. Like, you know, when I went to Coachella in, in alt space, you know, that of course was not even close to the experience of, of the real thing. Um, and this is, I mean, this is a big question or debate is, you know, when will it be a better experience to go to Coachella in VR? Because then you don't have to wait in line for the beer. You don't have to deal with parking and getting a campsite and, you know, all of the things that, you know, some people might say, oh, no, that's, those aren't bugs. Those are features. But other people might say, no, you know, I'd rather just do this at home. I, I mean, this is a, a question. Will, will they ever surpass them? I don't know if that will ever happen. I, you know, I personally... I've, I've never had an experience that, that surpassed the, the real world version of it. Um, and my guess and sense is that for, in a lot of ways, the, the VR version of experiencing things uh, will act as like a marketing tool for the real experience. The one thing that I will say is the benefit that you get is, um, you know, in my case, so I, I'm, in a, I'm in a long distance relationship. So my girlfriend lives uh, nine nine hour time zone difference away from me. So I'm in San Francisco. She's right. in Amsterdam. It's really diff. I mean, we 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 have flexible lives. We get to see each other a fair amount. But let's say that you know our favorite band is playing at a concert, and we there's no way that we're going to be able to show up together in real life. What VR offers right. is an opportunity and a way for people that live in separate parts of the world to share an experience and feel like you're almost really, really, you know, living that experience together. So that's the one benefit I would say that gives VR the edge of the real world is this ability to, you know, have two people that live in two different cities share the same physical, you know, three-dimensional experience together. And that's, I think, pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, I could see VR, like, like, let's say a concert, you know, you'd have people that go physically, but the concert could sell more to certain people that want a VR experience they could have a VR VIP experience, you know, um, let's say you have a church service and certain people can't get there. They're elderly or they're out of town or whatever. They could attend in VR and still get the benefit of hanging out with their churchgoers maybe, or, you know, experiencing the service. I mean, it seems like uh, VR would, 
would be a huge help for, uh, for, I mean, tons of industries, you know, doing a tour of a house in VR instead of just, again, looking at pictures like we talked about or, uh, you know, attending a concert or watching a sporting event with friends and, you know, everyone's yelling and cheering them on. I mean, it seems like um, the best use of it would be social, actually, versus being yeah. isolated. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, your uh, your church example is uh, it's a really interesting one. I forget the publication. I want to say Wired, but uh, Wired magazine. But I'm not. Uh, I'm. I really apologize if I just uh, took this away from another publication. But there was some feature length article I read somewhere. It was really really well written about um, this pastor who is growing his uh, his church by basically building it entirely in VR. Uh, there's an entire church uh, and congregation that meets in virtual reality. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is your. I think you. I think you've nailed the sort of the killer app. Um, and this and this has been talked about uh, in this in this space for for a while. Like the the killer app for virtual reality really is other people. Um, you know, today a lot of the experiences people can do in VR is pretty static. It's pretty isolated. Um, you know, it's pretty solitary, you know, it's great for gaming if, you know, gaming is, you know, it it builds immersion for that, but it's not great for, you know, like the NBA had a partnership with a startup called uh, Next VR, where you can sit and feel like you're sitting courtside at a basketball game, which is cool. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got some novelty to it. It's a, it's a cool experience, something that most people would never experience in the real world. But what it's really missing is other people like that will take off, I believe, that will be a huge and massive industry and business and people will be buying tickets when you can do that with other people, uh, which is the point I think you just made. And I think, I think you're right to, to highlight that as really being the, the driver for what might take these technologies to, you know, mainstream adoption, which today they're really not, you know, not many people are, are using uh, virtual reality uh, in this way just yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you've, you've, you've been doing this for five years. You must have seen a lot of different applications. So what do you feel like you've learned that, you know, friends of yours have no clue about because you've seen all these VR and AR applications? Like what, what really surprises and interests you? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I can give two examples of maybe the thing that like the most mind-blowing example I've seen of of a VR application that that's not kind of an immediately obvious one, and then uh, so I'd like to give that example, and then I'd also like to share maybe what seems like an obvious insight about why or how we'd use VR, but for me it like really clicked in a in a really concrete way only only very recently, um, and I think will also be a really killer app. So so the first example is. Um, it's the story of this company. So it's a company based in Colorado. The, the company is called ProtectWise. They, uh, they build tools for uh, cybersecurity professionals. So, so these are network analysts. So any, okay, so take any large company that has a big IT infrastructure. So they, you know, they, they have to, to monitor you know, thousands of servers, you know, everyone's desktop computer, if they're giving out mobile phones to their employees, you know, all of these devices that they need to protect. They don't want to have any security breaches. So the way most big companies have uh, or navigate this is they have you know, network analysts who uh, have to be comfortable navigating log files and Python scripts, and they go into their database and look at you know, suspect activity. Um, there's a huge shortage of trained network security analysts today because it requires such um, you know, high level of training of skills to be able to, 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 to work in this industry. So this company in Colorado, ProtectWise, built what I find is one of the most fascinating tools 
um, using uh, VR. So what they've built is a, it's a visualization tool, but basically imagine a giant city and in the city are a bunch of buildings. Um, every building in the city represents a device on the company's IT network. So the shape of, so the buildings give you information about that device. So the, the shape of the building, maybe it's circle, maybe it's uh, a square, maybe it's a triangle, uh, tells you what kind of device it is. Is it a server? Is it a mobile phone? Is it a, is it a desktop PC? Then the height of the building tells you information about the bandwidth activity. The width tells you the net flow activity. Um, then you can group your buildings into different neighborhoods. So maybe you put the marketing department uh, in one neighborhood, you put the, you know, the executive team in a, in a different neighborhood. And so this, and it looks like an actual city. Like when I say buildings, I mean, like, imagine like a downtown Manhattan, you know, skyscraper uh, cityscape. Sure. So, so, so the network analysts, when they show up to work, instead of logging into their, uh, you know, two-dimensional screen with, you know, log files and Python, all, all the things they're used to working with, they literally just put on a VR headset and they can see their entire company's infrastructure and walk around as if they were, you know, like patrol officers, like a, like a beat cop in the real world. So, I mean, this is kind of like, uh, I mean, if, if, you're, if any of your listeners have, have read Neuromancer by William Gibson, I'm beating, this is basically the plot from, uh, you know, pulled from science fiction. Like this is Neuromancer, uh, where you basically go into a virtual world and this is, you know, this virtual world represents a real world infrastructure. And what that means is that companies in the future will have security professionals, like their security guards won't be, you know, a guy at the mall with a, you know, a, a you know, a collared shirt and a, you know, a walkie talkie on their hip. It'll be, you know, a person in a room with, you know, tons of Oculus Rift VR headsets and they go in to basically do their security detail by going into VR. Like that's the future we're moving. I mean, this is very science fiction-y future. I think that was, that was kind of a, a crazy uh, example of like, wow, like this, you know, we are moving into virtual worlds uh, and these virtual worlds will, will merge with the real world in, in pretty bizarre and futuristic-y uh, ways, which I thought was cool. Well, it seems that like was, a big um, one, yeah. Something, something that's really important is like, you know, let's say you go to uh, Whole Foods to go shopping. Uh, you know, for Whole Foods to create a VR experience, I don't know how to put this. It seems like there needs to be software that can take a real world experience and immediately make like a VR version of it. You know, it videos yeah. it and it translates it somehow and, and maybe dumbs down, dumbs it down a little bit so that it can, you know, fit through the current network speeds we have and someone could experience VR right then and there and it creates it on demand. You know, again, like right. a grocery store, if they want to allow people to shop there in VR and order the stuff and then people in the store pack it up and, and send it to them, you know, you'd have to create an ongoing VR experience at the store, you know, for example, unless you want to make right. it static. So it yeah. seems like there needs to be a software like this that does this. I don't even know what you'd call it, but have you ever run yeah. into anything like that? Yeah, definitely. And it's, I mean, this is, this is like the most like mind blowing. I, I actually demoed a, uh, a startup um, here in, here in the Bay area that, they, they showed me, a, it was more of a concept demo than, than something that's live or available today, but it, did, it does work um, where they basically, so what they wanted to do instead of a grocery store, they wanted to do this for live sporting events where you could, in virtual reality, feel like you're actually at a, uh, like I think they worked with Manchester City, um, the soccer team, 
the football club where you, so the way it works is they actually installed a fixed camera system around the stadium. And all of these cameras are capturing all of the activity in the stadium on the field. Um, and what was cool about it is that you as the, the VR user at home is when you put on the headset, you are at the game watching it live. Uh, but what's even crazier is you can walk around on the field while the game is happening live. Like you can go up and stare at the goalie's face, the goalkeeper, you know, while he's, you know, waiting for the play to come to him. The only, I mean, the, the reason I described this as it was more of like a concept demo is right now the processing speeds and, and the, the underlying network capacity doesn't allow you to do like real time uh, live action rendering. So it doesn't look like real people. It's a, basically they're creating like a CGI, what looks kind of like a video game version of the soccer game, but it is still live. You can still walk around. And I have started to see some demonstrations from some, some research labs at large companies who are basically using that same technology um, and uh, layering various kinds of, of, uh, of light capture. Uh, there's a few startups working on this that can basically, we're, we're probably, I don't want to put it, I, I would guess maybe sometime in the next decade, um, maybe, maybe a bit longer, maybe, maybe between 10 and 15 years, where you could, just like you're describing in the grocery store example, basically put on, a, put on a pair of goggles and walk around anywhere in the world, feel like you're actually there, and it's all live, updated in real time. So, you know, in the case of a soccer game, you could go to a World Cup match and walk around on the field live while it's happening and all looks like live action, you know, doesn't look like computer graphics. This is the game. Um, you know, that, that's, that is, that is, you know, there, there are underlying technologies today that are uh, in development to, to support that in the next, you know, it's going to be a while. There's, there's a ton of engineering challenges. The, the computing power to, to run something like that is, you know, even beyond what today's, you know, extraordinary computing can currently do. So, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's basically what you just described. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, is that R to VR software, reality to virtual reality software translator and, and live and in real time. So hopefully it will come in the next 10 to 15 years. I think that would, that would really turn almost any experience into a, you know, a multitude of different experiences at different levels. Yeah, and it's, you know, we'll start to see glimpses of that you know, before, before it's ready for like a full immersive VR experience. You know, something like augmented reality where, you know, I imagine, I, you know, sometime maybe before that happens where let's say, you know, just to use a sports example again, your, your favorite uh, soccer team has an away game, but that you go to your home stadium and they are able to broadcast the game on the field, not a, not a video of it, but uh, by using hologram technology or some version of uh, like augmented reality. Like if you're familiar with Magic Leap, you know, imagine putting on a pair of glasses and sitting in the stadium and it looks as if the game is happening at home, like where, where you're sitting, even though the, the game in the real world is actually happening, you know, maybe 5,000 miles away, you're sitting in a, in a real stadium with other people getting that, that same experience. And it feels like it's happening in front of you. Um, you know, and that's, that's, that's more augmented reality application, but that, you know, things like that are, are, are going to be possible and are already, you know, you can start to see early, early examples uh, you know, hologram technology of, of concerts, uh, you know, a, a really famous one was uh, Tupac performed at Coachella a few years ago, um, you know, using a hologram, you know, things like that are, are going to start to come online mm. as well. Well, you know, it'd be interesting with augmented reality is let's say you have um, a nightclub and 
the people that attend there, you know, they just, maybe they have no glasses and the security has glasses and only they can see certain elements of what's going on. You know, they can access certain things and see things because they're at a certain level. And maybe the owner sees things on a third level that no one else sees. Interesting. And you could do that yeah. with augmented reality, you know, or security in a building. Security yeah. to see certain stuff or have access codes that no one else literally could see, but it could exist in the same space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's an interesting, um, you know, there's, there's in, uh, in China, they are already uh, experimenting with giving security guards uh, essentially what are like Google Glass uh, type devices, these, you know, heads up display uh, glasses that have, you know, camera technology that can do facial recognition. So, uh, you know, a security guard can, you know, literally just by looking at you, get information about, you know, do you show up on any, um, you know, criminal database? Are you wanted for anything? Are you, uh, you know, where, what city are you somewhere that you're not supposed to be? What are your credentials? Uh, so those those kinds of systems are are already being uh, tested in certain parts of the world, but yeah, it's, and it's like you're saying, depending on who you are, whether maybe you're the the security guard or the bouncer or the owner, you can toggle between what you know what kinds of information are are relevant to you, and then start to look out into the world uh, and see only you know th- that filtered information through your field of vision, uh, and you can I'm sure build some some really fascinating. Uh, you know, ways of, of, of doing that. And you could probably think for a while on different different ways that might be useful. Yeah, you brought up kind of a dystopian example of how the technology yeah. would be used, but what's, yep. what's the, the ratio? How much beneficial uh, good stuff do you see versus dystopian potential bad uses? Because I know people are afraid of any technology, yeah. including myself. You know? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. I, I actually, uh, it's a the ratio, I mean, okay, so I, I'm biased and I'll recognize my own bias in that I work at an organization, uh, Singularity University tends to try and, and this is, I mean, and this is deliberate and by design, uh, tries to focus on the positive outcomes of, of the ways we might use and leverage technologies. Uh, I think we believe and, you know, come from a, a mindset that uh, you, can, you can really create uh, culture and the way people leverage tools by, you know, where you spend your energy, um, you know, f- focusing. If you if you if you can envision a positive, inclusive uh, world and and way of b- using technology to build that world, it it creates this feedback mechanism of of moving towards that sort of intended future, intended outcome. Um, so so my bias. So so I recognize I recognize I have that bias, but I but I I certainly agree that there are some with all technologies and and augmented virtual reality is no different um you know a whole suite of uh unintended harms and and dystopian visions i mean probably just another example maybe one of the scariest things that i you know that that i kind of get this cringe factor on the sort of the downside of of all these tools is if you think about you know privacy issues and you know this this narrative in in the world that's uh, I think rightfully, you know, trying to grapple with issues around, you know, surveillance states or, uh, you know, people having access to where you're going, what you're doing, um, you know, intimate details about your life, spending time in it's, any... It's called Google. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> exactly. Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, they, you know, the, <laughs> these these large, you know, corporations that are on the scale of a nation state that have, you know, more of an intimate view into your life than than almost any entity that has ever existed is, 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 is terrifying. 
and then, so let me, I mean, I don't, to, to add to, to that uh, anxiety, if you think about spending time in a virtual world, one of the most fascinating things about that is everything you do in VR is, is theoretically trackable, traceable, literally from what you're looking at, what your eyes are looking at to how long they're looking there, what your arms right, are doing, right. your body motions, your body gestures, your uh, you know, physical mannerisms. Uh, where you're going, who you're with, all of that. I mean, it's not even like you have to install CCTV cameras and see like, oh, this person was here at this time and we can timestamp it. It's no, like VR is an entire software world. It's a world made of code. And that code lives in a server and can be uh, traced and looked at and inspected. And um, so, I mean, you want to think about like the ultimate surveillance state, whoever, you know, I think um, there is, some hope in that sense, and, and this is a, a much deeper rabbit hole to get into, but this is why I think one of the most fascinating intersections of any two technologies being developed today is the use of uh, virtual reality and uh, blockchain technologies. Um, because once you, once you can integrate, I mean, there's a great article. Um, actually, I wrote, an, I wrote an article on Singularity Hub about this uh, around why blockchain technologies will be one of the most foundational um, tools inside these virtual worlds. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, because if you think about what, what a blockchain is useful for, is it's good at authenticating uh, and validating digital assets, uh, but it also is one way to preserve your anonymity. Um, you could imagine being in a, in a virtual world and you want to remain anonymous. You could basically authenticate your identity. You can preserve your identity on a blockchain and then if you want to, in VR, go into a certain business and they require, uh, let's say, you know, let's say it's a bar in VR and they want to know that you're over 21 years old, you can authenticate that by basically at giving access to certain, you know, stored information that exists on a blockchain without revealing or releasing uh, your identity. And you can preserve that, you know, uh, pseudo anonymity. Um, it's a bit complicated and, you know, I don't, we don't necessarily have to go this Right. Into, into this world, but it's, you know, a, again, just to, to raise the, the, the threat, you know, the surveillance state, but then also other interesting intersections that we can start to address these, these issues that arise um, from that. Well, no, it's a good point. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Everything you do in VR, everything could be, could be surveilled. There was a, a show on Netflix called Black Mirror where people had these, like, I guess, hard drives inside their eye or something, and they could play back anything they wanted to play back that they had seen or heard or experienced. So it kind of makes me think about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Black Mirror is a really fascinating show in that it, it depicts, you know, our, our deepest fears, you know, these, you know, these deep anxieties that as a, you know, animal, as a species that, you know, rightfully we've embedded these uh, defense mechanisms to, you know, keep us safe. I think Black Mirror as a show does a really good job of exposing and, 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 and sort of uh, toying with, or not toying, but, but sort of, um, you know, crystallizing through film or television, you know, what those fears are. And I, you know, I think I, that, that episode you're referring to, I think is a, is a good example of that. All right. So last thing, tell me about the consulting you do. I mean, I guess I can see why you do it because you have had exposure to, you know, God knows how many VR companies and initiatives. So what, what kind of consulting do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's mainly, so, so that's all done through Singularity University. So, so typically, 
what, what, what Singularity University does um, as an organization is we will work with large businesses. Traditionally, these are, you know, large, established, old school, traditional companies that have, you know, they've been around for a while, they've, they're successful, um, but they're really grappling with, you know, this digital transformation that, that's happening in the world, this, you know, this ubiquitous, you know, rise of these information technologies that are starting to dominate our lives. And so what I'll typically do, usually along with other uh, SC faculty, is, is go in and, and do education programs. Uh, really just trying to build awareness both for, you know, where the technologies are today, but try to provide a, a sense of, you know, where we think things might be in two years, five years, uh, and 10 years. And then um, we do a lot of work with companies around, um, you know, actually building or, uh, you know, prototyping new new concepts, new, new projects or, um, you know, uh, you know, initiatives within within their organizations. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I spent a lot of time just kind of having conversations like this and uh, educating about, you know, what we're seeing, some of the ways that we might, uh, you know, see these, these tools be useful. Um, yeah, and just, and just really sort of providing insights around, uh, you know, where things that might not be immediately obvious uh, tools to, to think about integrating into uh, new, new, new projects. Well, very cool. So, um, you know, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Um, any last insights that you want to impart to uh, to listeners as part of, you know, your, like your teaching mode? What should they be on the lookout for over the next, you know, year or two? And you know, maybe just a list of a few resources in case someone wants to have a virtual meeting with someone or go into a virtual world and experience some of this stuff. Yeah, definitely. So I'd say that uh, I guess the last the last piece of uh, wisdom or advice, I would say, and this is, this is uh, an idea borrowed from uh, Kevin Kelly, the founder of Wired Magazine. He said something, um, actually had a program at, at Singularity about a year ago that just really stuck with me about the virtual reality, augmented reality space, which is today there is no such thing as an expert in AR, VR. And I find that really fascinating because all of these tools are so new. And, and I think what makes that exciting is that everyone today in this industry, in the space is is an experimentation mode. Everyone's trying something. Everyone's seeing what works, what doesn't work. Um, no one really knows what's going on. No one really knows what the you know the killer you know break breakaway you know use case star is going to be. Um, and so I think what that means for anyone interested in the space is this is a, a prime opportunity to really get in on the ground floor and 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 just try stuff out. I think a really I think one really fascinating uh, development that's that's very recent is that the cost of these headsets are coming down dramatically. I mean, if you wanted to buy a VR headset, you know, a year ago, two years ago, you would probably be spending, you know, two thousand dollars. The headset itself was like five hundred dollars. Then you need a gaming PC to even run the 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 graphics card that's you know powerful enough to run it. So it's you know another thousand um, dollars. And so I'm actually sitting. I just bought myself. Uh, Oculus Go, which is the Facebook, so Facebook um, who bought Oculus. Oculus just released this for $200. It's a standalone, self-contained unit. All the processing power is on the device itself. It's got the uh, positional tracking. You don't need external camera sensors. You can run some of these, you know, really sophisticated VR experiences. And so what was once, you know, $2,000 is now $200. So the point is that you know, it's getting the barrier to entry is coming down and it's coming down very quickly. Um, 
And then, yeah, and then on your last point, if people are interested in, in really spending time in these uh, virtual spaces, I think a really good sort of beginner platform to get acclimated would be Altspace. Altspace works on a browser, so you don't need VR equipment. Uh, you can just download Altspace on your computer and you can use their two-dimensional browser. Uh, or not browser, I'm sorry. You do need to download the, the application. Uh, but you can use it on a, on a two-dimensional computer screen. Um, and you can do all the things that other people that have VR headsets are doing. Uh, they have an integration with Slack, so you can actually take uh, business meetings and do conference meetings in Altspace that just connects and integrates right, right from Slack. So uh, that's a tool that, that people can use. And then one layer up, if you're, if you're really interested in diving into maybe sort of the, uh, you know, a slightly more challenging but, but, but maybe more robust system, I'm really fascinated. I know we didn't talk about it, but this company, High Fidelity. Uh, I really believe that, you know, if you look at films like Ready Player One, um, which are mm, kind of popularizing. Film. Yeah, I mean, so, so I think, you know, people sometimes ask, like, who, who's going to be Ready Player One or who's going to build the Oasis from Ready Player One? Uh, and I, I, I mean, I have no idea. But, you know, one company that I think has the potential to basically build what is the Oasis depicted in that film is uh, this company called High Fidelity. Um, and they're doing some really, really interesting things. And they've already started to build some really sophisticated experiences. Um, and, and it's basically what could become like the internet. You know, you might just like 15 years ago, a company might've said, nah, I don't need to buy it, get a URL or a domain name. Maybe in 10 years, everyone's going to have their own like high fidelity, uh, you know, domain uh, and space online to, you know, have a three-dimensional world where people can come to your, what will essentially be like a website. Um, and that's, that's kind of what well, they're I building. Can see, this is what I was talking about before. It would be like, um, you know, like you buy video cameras for a store. It would be this like VR creator, you know, for your store or workplace or whatever. And you install it and it comes with all the software and the cameras and the whatevers. And then it allows you to create a VR version of your space, whatever it is, your home, your church. Yeah your store, yeah. your meeting room, whatever. And it does all that for you. It provides a portal where people can use VR to participate in the experience and you have settings and I'm just yeah. making this up yeah. as I go along, but that's, that's what I envision. No, that's, that's a great idea. I mean, you know, it will involve a fixed camera set or some kind of capturing yeah. system that, that, you know, creates, that digitizes your space. And the, yeah, I think, I think that's a, I think that's, you know, that's coming. <laughs> I think it's, I think that's a really cool idea and, and one that, that will, certainly exists at some point. Well, very cool. Um, like I said, Aaron, this is a great talk. I, I, I love to talk to you all day about this stuff, but I know we got we to gotta go. But you provided great resources, and I think you know, we came up with some, uh, you know, based on your experiences, a lot of great stuff and a lot of ideas for the future. So what's, um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you through Singularity if they wish to, if they want training, if they want uh, education, article ideas, collaboration? Yeah, I mean, they can, uh, they can connect with me by email. It's just aaron.frank at su.org. Um, is, is, you know, I'm pretty responsive by email. I don't mind giving that out. Um, I'm also on Twitter. It's just at Aaron D. Frank. Um, I mean, those are, those are probably two, two ways to follow uh, or get in touch, but you know, I you know, I post my articles on on Twitter. It's really the only social media. Not really big on social media, but that's that's basically where I I live there. So, yeah, that's that would be it. Okay. Well, very good, Aaron. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Yeah. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Almost Here, 
Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, and discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.